In a moment, Kevin is going to read for us from Scripture from the book of Acts. But to set the stage a little bit, we're in a sermon series now on lessons that our culture has lost. We're talking about things like respect, things like kindness, courage, character. We're going to be exploring these themes over the next couple weeks. And this scripture is in the middle of a moment. We're following Paul, who was, uh, you may remember, in the beginning of his life, a persecutor of Christians. At some point, he had a major change of heart. He had a powerful experience with God as he was traveling to the city of Damascus. And by the point in our story, he is an advocate for the gospel. He's planting churches left and right. And in fact, we find him on a boat on his way to Rome to be, uh, to be put on trial because of his Christian faith. So he is a prisoner on board a boat headed to Rome And all is seeming pretty bleak and like it might be lost, and that's when he gives a pep talk to everybody else on board. He's a prisoner, but he's given the pep talk. And so that's where we pick up our scripture from Acts that Kevin is going to read for us. No one had eaten in a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. For I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God, fill us with courage and fill us with wisdom that we might live the lives you have called us to. Amen. There are certain moments that define us. There are moments when we have to decide whether we're going to give in to fear or whether we'll put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward toward what we know is right. The moments that best define us are these moments when we choose courage over fear. For Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the defining moments of courage in his life occurred on this boat. The crew hadn't eaten for days. They were lost because a storm had thrown them off schedule. The sun and the moon hadn't shined for days, Scripture tells us. So they had no way to navigate. They didn't know where they were. They were lost in the Mediterranean Sea. The ship had sustained major damage in the storms. Just a few verses ago in the Scripture, before what Kevin read to you, the crew had tossed everything overboard. They were carrying freight to trade, and they'd tossed it overboard in the hopes of lightening the ship to keep it above the water. They had tossed out their supplies. They had tossed out their food. They were talking about tossing over people, including the prisoners, of which Paul was one. And Paul had convinced them, hey, you you really don't want to toss me overboard. Paul himself is a prisoner being taken to Rome to have a trial before Caesar because of his Christian faith. And things are looking pretty bleak on this ship in the middle of the Mediterranean, lost, off course, damaged, about to sink when Paul receives a visit from an angel who tells him, you're going to make it through. You're going to be okay. 
And Paul rallies together everybody else on the ship, and he gives him this speech, and he says, you know what, we are going to make it. We just have to have courage and keep moving forward. When it feels like it would be easier to give up, we got to have the courage to keep doing what we're doing. The worst may be yet to come, because we're going to get shipwrecked on an island, and we may not even know where that is initially. But we have to have courage in spite of these facts. In spite of where we find ourselves, in spite of the threat of where we might be going, we've got to set aside all of our fears, all of our doubts, all of the unknowns, and keep moving forward. And that's really what courage is. Courage is finding strength in the midst of difficult times. Courage is moving forward in spite of our fears. Courage is doing what's right even when we know that it's not going to be easy. And we all have times when we fall short or we give in to our fears or we don't do the right thing. But those moments that define us the most are not our moments of fear or doubt. It's those moments when we choose courage in spite of those things that scare us, in in spite of those reasons that we have to doubt. We choose to do the thing that is difficult. I want to tell you a story about my grandfather, my dad's dad, my dad's father. His name was Donald Crum. It seems appropriate on Father's Day, preaching a sermon on courage to appeal to an example from my own life of my grandfather. He was a person of great character and great courage. He was the type of person who always did what was right, even if he knew that people were going to be upset with him for the way that he chose to act. As a teenager, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy to serve during World War II, and he served as a signalman in the Pacific arena. This is not a story about his time in the Navy, because he did not talk about his time in the Navy. This is a story about what happened when he came back from the war. When he came back from his service to the Navy, he went to college. On the GI Bill, he attended Adrian College, first college graduate in his family, and then he felt a calling to ministry. And so he went to seminary and he got his master's degree, which was something unimaginable for most of his family. He served as a Methodist pastor across the state of Michigan for over 30 years. But towards the beginning of his ministry, back in 1960, he was appointed to serve as an associate pastor at a church in Detroit called West Lawn, West Lawn Methodist Church. And West Lawn was a large, wealthy, successful congregation in the city of Detroit. It was the kind of church that other people looked to as a model of ministry, and it was the kind of church, according to my father, that had a roller skating rink in the church building. And my dad said, you got to be clear, this was not just a space that was large enough where kids could roller skate, this was a space built to be a roller skating rink, complete with a desk where you could check out skates to use if you didn't own your own. I have to imagine that was kind of a pull, a draw to kids in the community. Now at one time, the West Lawn Methodist Church was one of the largest congregations in the Detroit Annual Conference, which were a part of, the eastern half of Michigan. And my grandfather used to say they had 1,300 to 1,500 people on their roles, their membership roles. Back in the day when membership and worship attendance were much more closely aligned, so there were a lot of people showing up to the West Lawn Church on any given Sunday. It was a successful, booming, vibrant church in the city of Detroit. And as people moved into the area, they took in new members. It was a church that was poised to grow. My grandfather often called on visitors to the church as the associate pastor. That, one, that was one of his tasks. 
Nowadays, we don't do this, but back in those days, once you showed up to a church for the first time, the pastor would appear on your doorstep and want to come in and sit in your living room and talk with you. And that's what my grandfather did. And so he called on a young couple one week who had been visiting the West Lawn Church for a couple times and, in fact, were interested in joining the church. They were young professionals, the way my grandmother tells the story. One of them was a librarian, and they were new to the neighborhood. They wanted to join this church, and my grandfather said, well, that's wonderful. We'd be glad to welcome you into membership here in this church. The West Lawn Church, unfortunately, was not as glad as my grandfather was because the West Lawn Church was white, and this new couple was black, and it was Detroit in 1961. Some of you are very familiar with Detroit's history. Few of you are probably much more familiar than I am. As early as the 1920s, Detroit was a hub of cultural and racial diversity. Due to Henry Ford's $5 workday, work people were moving from across the country, even across the world, to come to Michigan to work for Henry Ford. We had people from Eastern Europe. We had people from Arab nations. We had people from the American South, both white and black, who were moving to Michigan because they wanted the economic opportunities that Ford provided. And all these immigrant groups were discriminated against as they came to Detroit and tried to find a place in what was an established community, but no group was so systematically discriminated against as the black Americans who moved to Detroit. And by the 1940s, toward the end of America's Great Migration, Detroit's population was booming due to the economic prosperity, but racial tensions were mounting. And as early as 1943, there were conflicts that broke out in Detroit due to these tensions. And at that time, they had to call in 6,000 federal troops to help settle the chaos. 27 people were killed in 1943 due to these conflicts. All of them were black. And by the time the 1960s rolled around, Detroit was at a breaking point. If you know Detroit's history, you know that by 1967, everything came to a boil in the infamous events of the summer of 1967. And so my grandfather was a pastor in Detroit in 1961. All of this heritage, all of this buildup that had come before was part of the city, part of the legacy. The events of the late 60s had yet to happen, For years, openly racist housing policies had confined black Americans in Detroit to certain neighborhoods. And at the beginning of the 60s, integration was just starting to happen. It was just starting to happen. By 1961, when my grandfather was in Detroit, there were a few black families that were brave enough to move into white neighborhoods. And when they did move in, they received threats, they received crosses burnt in their front yards, they received bricks through the window, they received violence. This is all well-documented stuff. Racial discrimination was very public, it was very overt. And around the same time, Detroit schools were becoming integrated by law. My father attended elementary school in Detroit. His elementary school was just a couple blocks from the church, and it was integrated while he was a student there, and white folks were not pleased about that. That's an understatement. So there was a lot at stake in how my grandfather would choose to act in 1961 in this white church in Detroit. There was a moment of decision for him in this ministry that he served, in this congregation. What was he going to do? It was a moment of decision that was being replicated across the city of Detroit. Will we allow you in or not? And it was being replicated in painful and hurtful ways. Now looking back now, the decision seems obvious. 
How could he do anything but what he chose to do? How could any of us deny somebody membership into our church based on the color of their skin? It seems ludicrous now, here in this place, perhaps. But back in 1961, even the Methodist denomination was an advocate of segregation. Even the Methodist denomination practiced Jim Crow. We segregated all of our black Methodist churches into something called the central jurisdiction, and there was no crossover between white and black. It was separate but equal until 1968, when black Methodists finally managed to convince the rest of the church that we should be integrated. And so this is the culture in which my grandfather is serving. He was a white pastor in a multiracial city that was on the cusp of change, the cusp of integration, the cusp later, of white flight from the city. And he must have known that his congregation was not going to be welcoming or loving or accepting to these new members. Given the climate of the time, it would have been far easier for my grandfather to look at this young couple and say, you know what, the time is just not right for you to join this church. It's unthinkable now, but at the time, that would have been an easy, lukewarm kind of answer driven by fear, perhaps, of what might happen. My grandfather was a smart man. He knew that there would be consequences to his action. Even if he was doing the right thing, he knew that everything in that church was about to change. The giving patterns, the attendance, the support of the clergy, it was all about to change based on what he chose to do next. But when that couple approached him saying, hey, we want to join this church, he said, I'm glad to welcome you into membership here. How could he have done otherwise? Doing what is right, despite the fear of what might happen, despite the possible ramifications, despite our doubts that creep in, doing what's right no matter what, that's courage. That's courage. I've been telling the story from the perspective of my grandfather because that's the part of the story I know that's been passed down to me from my my grandmother and from my dad, since my grandfather didn't talk about things like that. But obviously my grandfather was not the only one with courage in this scenario. Can you imagine the courage of that young couple, a young black couple in Detroit in the early 60s to come into that big, successful white church knowing that the congregation may not be welcoming to them? Maybe they were Methodists and they were just looking for another Methodist church close to their new home. Maybe they were attracted to the church for its many programs. Maybe they were new Christians. Maybe they were interested in the roller skating rink. I don't know that part of their story. But they wanted to follow Jesus as part of a Christian community, and there's never something wrong with that. There's never something wrong with that. And that couple, too, must have known what was at stake in their decision. They must have known what was happening to African Americans around the city as they integrated formerly white-only places. And yet they chose to move forward anyway with courage, with courage undoubtedly because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That husband and that wife, they were pioneers. They wanted to pursue what was right even in the face of fear, even knowing what might happen to them for being bold. After this young black couple joined the church, My grandfather started getting threats from many of the white church members who told him that what he had done was absolutely not acceptable. 
People started calling the parsonage at all hours of the night to make threats against his family. You remember back when people, more people had landlines. You couldn't tell all the time who was calling. You couldn't silence your phone. My grandmother says they used to get calls at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning from church members making threats against my grandfather and his family. They wanted to scare him. They wanted to intimidate him. They wanted him to go back on what he had done and reverse his decision. That's how people treated their own pastor. Can you imagine how they must have treated that young couple who wanted to join the church? Perhaps it's no surprise that the West Lawn Church closed within a decade. What kind of Christian community treats people like that? There will always be moments when we give in to fear. When we think of the what-ifs and doubt creeps in and clouds our vision. We cannot change what's happened in the past. We can learn from it. We can promise never to repeat it. We can apologize for it. But the moments that define us are how we choose to live now, knowing what's come, knowing what's possible in the future based on our actions. Are we going to turn from our fears? Are we going to set aside our doubts? Are we going to be people of courage now, in this moment that has been given to us? These moments where we put one foot in front of the other, knowing what might happen to us, even though it's difficult, even though it's scary, even though it's painful, those moments when we claim courage over fear, those are the moments that define who we are. Those are the moments when we're at our best. I've been telling a story about my grandfather from 1961. I started with a story about Paul on his ship as he was traveling to Rome both of these stories of courage require a little bit of context, a little bit of backstory to really understand what's going on, why courage was required in that moment. And it's true in our lives today. Context is everything. Sometimes we're not able to understand the amount of courage that it takes somebody else to face whatever they're facing. We may not know their whole story, and unless we sit with them and we listen and we hear them out, we don't quite understand the amount of courage that it might take them to face whatever they're facing. Moments of courage don't have to be these big dramatic events. They can be small things. For example, there may be a few of you here this morning who are visiting for the first time. Or maybe it's your second or your third time. Visiting a new church, that takes a lot of courage. You have to wake up early and disrupt whatever your normal Sunday schedule is. You have to pull into an unfamiliar parking lot. Here at this church, you've got to figure out, what door do I even go into? <laughs> Once I get into the door, how do I get to the sanctuary from where I entered the building? Where should I sit once I get into the sanctuary? And when it comes time to the worship service, how am I going to know when to stand or sit? Do I have to have things memorized? I don't know the tune to this song. How am I going to sing along? Are other people going to look at me? Even if you've been to church before, visiting a new church is scary. Even if you've been to a Methodist church before, visiting a new church can feel unfamiliar. And you have to muster your courage to get yourself out of the car, into the door, all the way into the worship service. You really have to rally yourself and set aside those fears and those doubts that might keep you in bed, unwilling to put yourself out there. And yet choosing a church 
for the first time, choosing this church to visit for the first time, that might be one of the most defining moments of courage that you have in your entire life. That could be the start of something amazing that God is going to do through you in this place. You never know where courage is going to take you when you choose to take a faithful step. There are some of you here this morning who have been here for just years upon years, and you're deeply invested in this church. Well, if you've been here a long time, you're also called to take courage. To take courage in the way you help this church make decisions and move toward the future. Because the more invested we are in something, the more we value it, the more we love it, the more we care for it, the more we have to lose, and the scarier it is to be courageous in difficult situations. There are people in this room today who are facing struggles that the rest of us know nothing about. Facing struggles maybe in a relationship, in a work environment, in health battles. We don't always know what somebody else is going through. And our call as Christians is to set aside those things that hold us back, those fears, those doubts, those things that seem to control us. We can't let what might, what might happen in the future outweigh what we know that we need to do now. We already know what's good. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. Justice, kindness, a relationship with God. That's from Micah 6.8. That's straight out of Scripture. We know what it is to do good. We know what's required of us. And even if we're not using the Scripture as a plumb line, we know instinctively in our hearts what the right thing is to do. The challenge is doing it. The challenge is setting aside those things that make us afraid or nervous and doing that thing that we know is the right thing to do. We follow a Savior who is the ultimate example of courage. He followed his calling from God to love God and love his neighbor, even though he knew it was going to upset people. He ate with the wrong kind of people. He gathered together the people who were poor, who were despised, who were sick. He embraced the people that society said were untouchable. I mean, this was a man who did everything wrong by the laws of the time. And yet he did it because he knew it to be right based on the law of love that God had placed upon him. We follow a Savior who set aside his fears, who set aside his doubts to face even a slow and agonizing death on a cross because he knew that was what was required. We follow a Savior of courage. And with that kind of model, how can we not How can we not draw upon our inner courage to do what we know is right? Jesus faced his fears. He was courage incarnate so that you and I might know hope and love and grace, eternal life. Words of scripture from Deuteronomy and Joshua remind us that we were created by God to be strong and courageous. I have to imagine those scriptures were going through Jesus' head even as he was walking towards the cross. We were created to be strong and courageous. We were created to be people who are able to set aside those things that scare us, those things that give us pause, those things that keep us from moving forward, and to choose courage over fear every time. We all have fears. 
Courage does not mean that we don't have fears. Courage does not mean that we don't have doubts. Courage does not mean that there won't be consequences for the thing that we choose to do. Courage is figuring out what is good and right and necessary and doing it in spite of all those things. Just like Paul on the boat to Rome, giving his rallying cry to his shipmates, knowing that they were going to shipwreck on an island. Just like my grandfather and the two brave members of Westlawn in 1961. Just like you who may be visiting here for the first time, or those of you who are deeply invested in this place. God is with us. May we take courage. May we set aside our fears and our doubts, and may we be defined by those moments when we choose courage in spite of everything. Amen.